Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, friend? Good to have you with us here on the Paul Leslie Hour. Almost every single American and countless people around the world have heard the music of composer Charles Strauss. The word legendary is not too strong of a word to describe Charles Strauss and, of course, his incredible melodies. He is an inductee of the Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Theater Hall of Fame. Strauss has written the scores for over 30 stage musicals, including 14 for Broadway, as well as five Hollywood films, two orchestral works, and an opera. Now, let's talk about some of his songs. Some of them, like Tomorrow, from Annie. And, of course, we can't forget Put on a Happy Face, A Lot of Living to Do. They're all recognizable in an instant. You hear the song start, you know it. In this interview, we are going to find the composer speaking very candidly about his life and what it means to be an artist. The music of Charles Strauss has made a very positive mark on the world, and the fact that the greatest performers in recorded music, such as Frank Sinatra, Barbara Streisand, Tony Bennett, Harry Connick Jr., Louis Armstrong, Nina Simone, Duke Ellington, I could keep on going, have all chosen to record and perform his songs as a testament to the quality of his work. This will give you an idea about the great range of artists who have been affected by his music. One of his songs, Once Upon a Time, has become somewhat of a standard. It's been recorded by everyone from Al Martino to Bob Dylan. The music of Charles Strauss will always be heard, and his name will forever be among the greatest composers of our time. I have a little story about the day this interview was recorded, and I hope you might appreciate it. I did the interview with Charles Strauss. At that time, my car had broken down, and there were a number of things going on, and let's just say it wasn't my best week. I started wondering, does anybody care about these interviews I do? I don't even know. Am I going the right way in life? That kind of thing. The same thoughts that we all have. I got driven to a grocery store, and I was about to start a shift at a horrible job that I had at the time. As I said, really feeling bummed. And there was a little girl. Her mother was pushing her around in a shopping cart. And she sang, not just a line or two, the entire song, Tomorrow, from Annie. And I really smiled to myself. And I thought, wow, you cannot penetrate the culture more than this. When a little child who can barely talk is singing your song and knows all the words. I felt very, very grateful to be who I am and also to have the chance to speak with such an incredible artist like Charles Strauss. I hope you enjoy, and as always, let me know what you think. Ladies and gentlemen, the man we are interviewing is songwriter Charles Strauss. He has won Emmy, Grammy, and Tony Awards. Charles Strauss is an ASCAP Foundation recipient of the Richard Rogers Award and the Oscar Hammerstein Award for his achievements in theater. Charles Strauss is an inductee of the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Mr. Strauss, it is a great pleasure to welcome you. Oh, you're, you're more than welcome. 
I like to think of myself as a composer and not merely a songwriter, not that I don't think that's a high art. And Hart, who is Charles Strauss? <laughs> well, uh, I was blessed with wonderful music teachers as I grew up. I went to the Eastman School of Music, graduated there, and there were composition teachers who started to uh, instill in me the love which uh, has lasted all my life. And it's a it's been more than a blessing. It, uh, it's something I just do with great pleasure every day. I, I compose. I love doing it. I have a tremendous respect, but an also frustration about where notes go. And, and it's a contest every day with the art. And I, I don't know how to say more than that. And I, just along the way, I've had teachers who have encouraged me. What is it that you like most about composing? It's a significant question. It's, it's kind of hard to answer. There's a, there's almost, a, it, it's partly stubbornness. It's partly, uh, there's a compulsion I have to, to try and make notes do something that, that I would say basically to give me pleasure. And trying to, it's also trying to get other notes out of my head in a sense, though I know they're there forever and try to find something that seems graceful, simple, complicated, surprising. It's very much it's very much like dreaming. I think the best composing I do, I try to make myself stop trying so hard and, and let it happen. I don't know last night I heard of a Beethoven symphony, one oddly enough which I hadn't heard in a long time, and it was just thrilling and I don't know what compelled the man to write such wonderful, contrasting, rhythmic and harmonic music. Something that stunned me and, and surprised me. And But he obviously loved doing it. I think that's the answer. I think that, that people do it like myself, but I don't, put him in the, I don't put myself in the same league. It really gives me a deep pleasure to put notes in it, which please me. Take us back a little. What was life like growing up? <laughs> hey, I'm like any other person. <laughs> mother problems, father problems. I had a, a brother. Um, my mother was very uh, depressed woman. She was very musical, played piano, but she was very depressed. She was suicidal, actually. So I would say I had a certain blackness in my youth. I was always overweight, was kind of, was very self-conscious about it. It's hard to answer in one question because if you ask me tomorrow, I might say it was all wonderful. But it, it, I think it was, it was, it was like almost anybody else's that I've read about. There are lots of bumps in the road. People take them differently. They, they just plain out love their parents or some have problems with the father or the mother. My mother was a severe depressive, so it, it gave a darkness to my early years. What about the music you heard growing up? Can you remember specific songs? Specific songs I heard, if not the exact songs, the style of them. My, my mother was a, a jazz pianist. She played what's called, what is that, bass and jump with, with one hand, she could play a kind of black style. And we used to go to Woolworths and buy the latest sheet music. So a great deal of music I heard was pop music of the day. 
Alice Faye and, and people like that, Tony Martin, Sinatra, of course. So I grew up with that, but I went to, I had uh, a talent for music and an aptitude. A music school was my choice, and they accepted me, and so the, my path was set. And in the music school, the Eastman School of Music, music was taught in an academic fashion only. Today it's changed. They teach movie scoring and all kinds of jazz and things like that. There was a jazz program, but basically we learned theory and uh, harmonic and melodic analysis. We uh, analyzed the music of, you know, Mendelssohn or Liszt or Bach. Certainly, and we did a lot of ear training where somebody would play something on the piano. We had to copy it down, that kind of thing. What was the most important thing you learned from the Eastman School of Music? You're asking very deep, deep questions. What comes to mind, I don't know whether it was the most important, but it comes to mind very quickly, is I had a theory teacher whose love and respect of tones, and musical tones, was so absolute that when she she dictated music, say, from the keyboard, which we had to voice, copy and voice in the correct form, her love of, of tones was just so pure. It was like there was no outside world. There we were in a, in a city that I think of as being not the most glamorous place to be. The weather wasn't always great by any means in Rochester, New York, and there she was, and it was the most important thing in the world that we were able to distinguish that C under the F sharp and then a G sharp, and they had a, a kind of purity of purpose, and I think that never left me. I don't know whether that's easy for somebody who's not a musician to understand, but uh, musicians understand that hitting the right note, putting down the right note becomes a way of life as it is, say, to a surgeon knowing not to cut that vessel, but the other vessel. I remember her as being very important in my life, though she was what I think, I haven't seen her in a hundred years, I think she's what most people would call dull, but I remember that. Is it true that you met Aaron Copeland at that school? No, I met Aaron when I uh, I got a scholarship to Tanglewood after after I graduated. And uh, Aaron was the head of the composition department at Tanglewood. What was Aaron Copeland like? It's hard to say in one word. First of all, I didn't get to know him. I got to know him very well. We were very good friends. Nevertheless, he was a loud homosexual. I was not. So I never got close to him emotionally, I think, the way many of his gay friends did. But as a straight guy who worshipped him, worshipped his music, we all did then, we were very close. He was proud of me. He gave me one of his commissions that he couldn't accept. I know for a fact that he was proud of me, and he he introduced me, I mean, he wrote and introduced me to Nadia Boulanger which was a great, great compliment and a very important thing in my life. And she gave me a scholarship, and I worked in Paris with her for a year. Can you recall the first composition you ever wrote? Well, it's funny you sound like Nadia. If you mean compositions by things that had a certain complexity, yes, I can. But she asked me to, when I met her, I was working on very complicated, modern-sounding pieces, and she said, 
tell me the first things you ever wrote. And I said, oh, well, they, they were like little songs when I was a kid. You don't want to hear that. No, she wanted to hear that. So I played her these little, I don't know what you'd call them. I would call them silly songs I wrote when I was when I was nine or ten. They all had to do with a girl I had a crush on on 83rd Street. And uh, they're things that made my, they amused my parents and showed that I had an aptitude of sorts. But they were nothing I was uh, proud of. But she... She heard them. She uh, she told me at one point that I did have a talent for light music, which to the French is not the same as to Amer Americans and Germans are very and Israelis are very serious, serious about music. But the French, you know, they have a lot of composers like Auric and and Mio who write light music. They're not ashamed of it. She told me that I had a gift for light music. You know, I was trying to write Stravinsky and, and Hindemith at the time. And she was like a psychologist and, and a great one for, the, for me. Our interview is with composer Charles Strauss. How did you meet the lyricist Lee Adams? We met at a party at Christmas time, and we simply liked one another. He was a nice guy. He had written lyrics to shows at Ohio State, and he was kind of full of himself. He, they were great successes at Ohio State. And I made, if not the mistake, the uh, the decision out of friendship, you know, when he played them for me, I, I'd say, you know, I think there's a better rhyme possible for that. And he didn't like me for it, but then ultimately kind of had a, a if not a respect, a feeling that, you know, I was a very truthful kind of guy. Our friendship and collaboration, I think, was formed on that basis. Plus his ambition, which was just like mine, except that he was a newspaper man then. Uh, he was a weatherman for NBC. When we wrote Bye Bye Birdie, for instance, all every lyric was typed on NBC stationery. He was, I think, paid 150 a week, and he used to give the weather reports and uh, things like that. But we hit it off, and he was a very hard worker, which I am, too. And he was unmarried, which I was. It became a way of life, and then after quite a few years, we had a big success with Bye Bye Birdie. Why do you think Bye Bye Birdie has stood up for so long and has been loved by so many people? Well, thank you for the compliment, first of all. I think it marked the beginning of rockabilly and rock and roll and Presley, and that's become, that became like the Beatles, a significant part of American culture. We, luckily, caught it. The other thing is that, and we caught this purely by mistake, that it, it had to do with a, a Spanish girl. And we did that because nobody would do the show. I mean, the people we had all dropped out. You know, we were nobody, and the show was nothing. But Cheeto was a, a friend of mine. She was in my first show, which was the Shoot the Certain Review. And it occurred to either Mike or Lee or me, I don't remember who, when this other woman dropped out, we said, what about Cheetah? And everybody said, you see, it was originally about a Polish girl. And they were all the jokes were about Polish. The mother hated, you know, made all jokes about, you're not going to marry a Polish girl. And we, we went through it, and Mike found that he could change virtually every joke to Spanish. And in a way, we hitched on to something that was happening right at the time, but it was, it was luck, like so many things are. I think that's another the thing that made it live is that the the nice boy in Mike's case the nice Jewish boy and the and the Mexican girl or the Spanish girl gave a certain currency to the piece which has stayed and the other part being the the Presley uh, atmosphere.
You also wrote the music to Annie. How many versions of Tomorrow do you think there are? Oh, I don't, I don't know, and I'm not saying that out of detachment or anything. I seriously don't know. It became anthemic, and it was like so many things in the theater, luck or chance that the, that the song was in the show. It was, uh, it, it was a scene in which Martin Charnin, uh, who was the director of it too then, needed an extra two minutes to make a wonderful set change, he had found the dog. It became obvious to both of us that uh, a song of, you know, of guts would be the thing. I wrote the song, the music. It got a tremendous hand. And for months, I thought they were applauding Martin's scene change, which had this fence sliding out in a way, revealing the orphanage. And I thought it was very slick. And it always got a big hand. And it was months before I realized they really liked this song. It, it's not that I didn't like it. On the contrary, I liked it very much. But it went in because of, of need. Uh, need other than the emotional need, but a, a physical need of changing the set. It's, it's interesting the way these things work, and yet it, it's become uh, it's become crazy. It's a it's it's a song that I I myself I, I never hear my songs on radio. I hear it. <laughs> it's great. It's a wonderful feeling. Could you pick a favorite musical that features your music? Yeah, I think right now I just saw recently a, a version of Rags. A show of mine which did not get the reviews I thought it should have gotten. And it was kind of screwed up by a, well, I don't want to say by who. And then the night that it opened, the producer died and the show did not run. So it's, it's referred to very often by you cynical journalist types as a flop. But I think it's one of the best scores that I and Stephen Schwartz ever wrote. It's a very meaningful show to me because it's about the beginnings of jazz and tap dancing and the immigrant experience in America. I recently saw a production at a college that my wife actually directed. That's the, the best version. The audience was just thrilled. But it's gotten better and better. And in some ways, it's a favorite show of mine. I put in all my love of country and music and into it, and I'm hoping it it it, it uh, reaches a another end. I I love Golden Boy. I, I've always thought Golden Boy was leaving my best score in many ways. There's so many things that are look. You you're a you've been around. There are things you don't know that suddenly something jumps out, and you don't know why it jumps out. You're grateful, and you tell yourself on your best days it reflects your own talents. But there's a measure of being in the right place at the right time. We're talking with composer Charles Strauss. Would it be possible to pick a favorite song of yours? Of mine? Yeah. Trying to think. I think in, in Golden Boy, there's a song called Night Song, which has always been a great favorite of mine. Because Sammy's not around... <laughs> I can say I never thought he sang it right, but it was something that was very meaningful to me because it was about it was about great loneliness in uh in adolescence, something that I felt sitting in Central Park when I was fifteen and being extremely lonesome and seeing people in love walk by and traffic and the lights of the city and all that kind of thing. And Lee and I wrote a song called Night Song, which tried to express the same kind of feeling for a 20-year-old black man. 
who didn't know what he was going to do with his life. And that has a great emotional connection with me. And I would say in that way, it's it's a favorite of mine. There's a song that you wrote, Once Upon a Time. It's just a fantastic song. Yeah. Tell us about the inspiration. Oh, that's an easy one. <laughs> Tell you about my inspiration. I was madly in love with, with a girl, my first love. That the first girl that who said she loved me. It was it was absolutely incredible, impossible. I found through talking to other people that most people or many people have had that same experience. I, I don't know whether it was the only love in my life, but it has a, a resonance, a romantic quality that I still think she's dead. <laughs> By the way, I googled her recently, and she's she's dead. I can remember vividly the first time being with her. Even now, I start to tear up a little bit. Though I've been married, I'm going to be married 50 years, and I love my wife, but I can still remember the time she said to me the, the absolutely impossible words that I love you to me. You know, I, I was, I think, 20. It was most incredible. And that emotion stayed with me, and that very much fed the writing of that song. What musicians have influenced you the most? Well, Aaron certainly did. Stravinsky very much. Of songwriters, if that's whom you're alluding to, I would say every song I hear, but I'm 83, so a lot of the songs I've heard that are in my heart are not the latest rock songs. I don't understand Lady Gaga, for instance, much at all. I do like Everyone loves the Beatles, so I'm not about to make a major musical statement on that one. And I like a great deal of the music I caught on to, Rockabilly, you know, the big one that we wrote Birdie about. It all stayed with me, but there are things they're doing in uh, rock today which I don't get much of a kick out of. I, I try to listen to it, but I'm still with, I guess you'd call it more traditional, melodic ambitions. Traditional. And there's an age factor built into it. I was 16. I think were I 16 today, I would, I would feel different things, but that's where I am now. How do you feel about the future of songwriting? Yeah, well, it's complicated, but it's mixed up in my own ambitions and my own sensitivities. I can't really make a... Uh, certainly people have gotten totally used to uh, mechanical sounds, and totally used to militancy and a, uh, a percussive that is rock nature to music. We all did. I mean, I was a jazz player. Still am. I play jazz. I was in jazz groups. And, but there's a kind of, I, I know I can't say it, but I'll say it. You can believe it. There's a kind of attitude about a lot of current music that I'm not with. You know, I lead a comfortable life. I'm I want to please people. I don't want to antagonize them. It may be a, a political stance. I don't know. But it, it's hard for me. It's hard for me. I don't know enough to say what I think the future But Because the future, somebody is writing it right now, and, and I haven't heard it or you haven't heard it. Certainly, it's been influenced a great deal by mechanical music and a great deal by the percussion of rock that everybody in the world now plays guitar has made the 
harmonic structure of music very limited in many cases because guitar players play in a certain way and electronically sounds can be shifted and raised. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I go about it the old-fashioned way. What makes a good song a good song? I can't limit it to songs, but I think what makes music good to me is variety, invention, dimension, color. I don't know much about painting, but it seems to me that the best composers get the same pleasure out of writing that uh, Picasso must have gotten out of painting. And in doing, he, along with many others, invented a kind of painting which wasn't ever done before. But he did it basically because I think he had a lot of fun doing it. There is somebody who has great joy and sensitivity in his heart who is going to write a song or a symphony or a suite or something and it's going to touch a lot of people, and I don't think anyone can answer it. I just like to think that I might be on, on board that ship that what is sailing. How did you feel when you were inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame? I don't remember, to tell you the truth. I'm, I'm flattered by all of, all of that. I mean, I'm flattered. It would be the one-word answer, you know, and the older I am, the, the more I look back on things like that, but I, I look back on it as a crutch rather than a an emotional uh, reassurance at this moment. I get very depressed by what I'm writing very often, so I look for my awards. When you don't have it, it, it's it's amazing how much you want it. And then when you get it, you also have, unfortunately, the kind of wisdom that that says to you, hey, hey man, it's, it's life, it, 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 next page. So it's hard to answer. I certainly remember all the good thoughts. I certainly remember giving pride to my mother and to my wife and to my children, which has been a double-edged thing sometimes. My, my children, so I've been told the problems because I'm, quote, famous. I don't think of myself that way at all. I really don't. I mean, I do and I don't. Look, I'm doing an interview right now. But it bothers my children sometimes because they're strivers, all of them as I am. So it has a lot of mixed feelings. It's a tough one for me to answer. What is the best thing about being Charles Strauss? <laughs> that people have finally learned how to spell Strauss my way. I mean, it was changed... <laughs> <laughs> it was changed by uh, by immigration uh, officers years ago when my parents immigrated here. I, I don't know. You know, you, you're uh, you're touching on things that I think influence every artist, and that is his feelings about himself. For me, they change day by day. Most days, I mean, today you're making me feel real good. I say, wow, I'm going to hang up from this call and feel like I'm someone. But most of the time, I'm really scrambling for the right note and scrambling for a feeling that that gives me. I don't have it. I don't feel satisfied. I do have a, a share of awards, but frankly, I feel I don't have as many awards as Stephen Sondheim. So what, what does that mean? I guess I'm just clutching. I'm climbing the cliff the same as everybody else. My last question for our special guest, Charles Strauss. What would you like to say to anyone listening? <laughs> You ask such uh, broad questions, and yet they're very sensible. What do I want to say? Well, bless you. I kind of like you all to like my music. I always felt that Verdi loved it 
when one of his tunes was played by a uh, organ grinder in the streets of Sicily or something. I, I like my music to be uh, heard. I like some of my serious music to have more currency than it does. I want to be a happy man. I think that's what I'd like to, uh, I'm aiming for that. If I can give anybody, some people have said to me that their a song of mine gave them great happiness in their lives. That makes me feel terrific. And I would say that probably sums up the thing that I would like more than anything else. Charles Strauss, what a great pleasure. Not at all. I liked it. I hope I meet you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pop, pop, doodly, zing, bang, doodly, knock, cock, cheap, da, boo. Bippity, pot, a, cut, a, she, da, po, pop, bed, a, like, a, teen, Oh, get a kick, a a